We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The fifth column. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Pad Podcast. Now with more energy or something. It's a lot of energy. I'm not sure. Yeah. There's at least a a touch of confusion. The thing is, I'm not overcome with grief. Um, I'm not merely confused. (laughs) Mm. I am really, really happy. Because the three of us are all together again in yeah, the same together. small room. Yeah, this is the first time since Shirtless. when? A long Just time. This? Restraining order's been lifted. I We're want. All together. L- listen. Uh, well, wait, 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 let me finish. What? Let me finish the introductions. Ah, because people don't know. Right. I mean, if they're listening, they're probably I'm commi- no, not necessarily. <laughs> it's okay. They could be overhearing someone's <laughs> sure, thing from sure. like a, a car. Yeah, they play nearby. this. They play this on city buses. <laughs> Sometimes I could imagine that. I'm Camille Foster of Freethink Media. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, Thank you Camille. for the applause. Uh, applauding me is Matt Welch of Reason Magazine. He is the editor at large. That's right at Reason Magazine, and he's back in the uh, back in the studio with us after attending the conventions and reporting from them live and giving us a bunch of great. Uh, background noise some might call it ambiance and also in the studio with me is michael moynihan hey vice news let's go also uh does some sort of reporting or something was on real time last week i was on real time was on real time last week too yeah back to back days we were both back to back days yeah there was a convention special so i i um finished off the convention with um your friend amy holmes as as salman rushdie myself and uh the next day matt was on the uh, the actual show which is a little longer, and uh, you get with Cornell get... West. I got How so much. Did he call you Brother oh, Welch? He got some brother. I think Brother, brother Matt, Matt was where he was going yeah. with this. Brother Matt. Uh, he got. We had some handshakes yeah. uh, on on air, uh, and then it ended up in a bar. Later, we're just already going off the rails here, but like, uh, no, no, this is very much on is, the rails. This is the most yeah, important yeah. part of the show. So, uh, uh, he was jabbering on and on because, uh, he's into Jill Stein, Green Party, even though he's a Bernie Sanders delegate, and, uh, and he was on the platform committee, I think it was. Uh, and, uh, Barney Frank was also on. Barney Frank played a big heavy at the Democratic convention to try to get all the Bernie people in line. So we all, we knew it was going to be, Cornell versus Barney, like crazy fast, and it pretty much was. And and I, I would uh, interject a little bit. And Alex Wagner was mostly mute, um, but uh, uh, I would make points to Barney Frank about, hey, look, you know, there was this uh, four-star general just barking about American exceptionalism right. while everyone was was waving yeah. flags and chanting USA <laughs> yeah, to amazing. drown out protesters. I mean, it was like I, I it was like a Thad Russell nightmare. It was a total like display of militarism. How do you feel about that, Barney Frank? And and Cornell was like, brother Matt, brother Matt's making a point over here. Anyway, so after party, as Moynihan will, will tell you, is usually boring, but they yeah. have drinks and the writers are really funny and they yeah. and they get like totally stoned. Yeah, uh, and they're and a couple of them are Angels fans, so things to talk about. Uh, and but by the way, Scott, the EP of that show is literally the nicest human, such being a nice human on the planet. And <laughs> I love him. Scott so much. and I, without revealing too much here of uh, intimate details about my personal life. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got into a discussion about, uh, and it was it was germane to things. It wasn't just me volunteering stuff. Uh, about as you both know, I had a uh, an incident in the ocean last uh, yes. last, uh, last November, and uh, and if it wasn't for a surfer, it would have it would have got pretty bad for me and and possibly my daughter. And we we're sort of talking about that in the context of some stuff in Scott's life. And then he wandered off because there's lots of people coming up. Uh, anyways, uh, so later on at the bar at the hotel that they put me up in, not Moynihan because. 
Moynihan, I guess, is like a, a three three star guest. <laughs> I'm the five star no, guest. I stayed in that hotel before, and I've stayed in the Lermitage before, and uh, I love these like this podcast. Like we get to talk about like, these amazing places. Where Camille's coming to us from the uh, Isle of Lesbos, <laughs> and let's talk about the amazing hotels we stay Dude, in. This is the fifth column. This is uh, yeah. We, we live in a uh, in the land of of gilded descent. Apparently. Yeah, um, it's um, a very, it's East, a very, East Coast elites. So yeah. I'm, I'm sitting there <laughs> trying to spend my hundred dollar hotel like uh, so one fifty per diem. One fifty. Yeah, you get them. Dude, I got one hundred. Um, so, Whoa. so people are getting Whoa. ripped off in certain points. So I'm trying to drink drink my hundred, and uh, <laughs> where is this story going? Now? Shut up! Uh, and suddenly I hear this, brother Matt, Scott Carter he's, told he's me holding my hand I'm holding. Now. You can't yeah. see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't holding see my it. hand. I'll tweet uh, that. Further. Told me. Uh, <laughs> About this incredible like moment that you went through, it's a, it was a, a breakthrough. Wait, it must what? Have meant- so he's sharing your personal story, which is fine. I, uh, Scott and I have, uh, you know, Scott, as Michael points out, is a, yeah, is a wonderful he's guy, amazing. super nice, such a nice guy. Uh, yeah, Apparently, but, but, a gossip, but go ahead. No, <laughs> and yeah, so I guess he's never going to be on the show now. <laughs> I have a very intense kind of moment with Cornell West at a hotel bar in Beverly Hills, talking about how these life changing moments really mean a lot, and you have to do something with these breakthroughs. So here's my comment. <laughs> I, my, here's my comment, brother Matt. My that comment. story was so not rewarding. It, 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 let me, you know, it's rewarding in two ways. Okay. One is um, you get to picture Matt Welch at a hotel bar with the wild-haired psychopath Cornell West. <laughs> that, who, that is that is racist. Which is a great. Yeah, you know, he just needs to comb it. I mean, like Bill Walton had fucked up hair. I know I'm not racist for pointing that out. Actually, but, you are. But continue. Yeah, it's fine. So the great. Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is something that I came uh, that I I, uh, explained and I often explained to younger journalists who are very ideological. They just get out of college and whether they're right, left, center. I mean, I usually interact with ones that are, you know, lefties out of college and they're journalists and they're seriously angry about everything. They still have politics. They haven't been shattered by the world. They haven't been crushed by reality. And I'll say, you know, I'm friends with X in this Paul will just come across, like, you're friends with so-so. And my thing, and to, to the Cornelis point, is every person who I've ever, like, agreed with in a way that it made me twitch and sweat and get angry, I always really like them as people. Huh. And there's never, there's, there are very few exceptions to this. And people, and that's on both sides. I mean, there's, I have, I've had this conversation with a lot of people that, like, Ann Coulter is a really nice person. <laughs> she's fun. I wouldn't go that far. She's fun. She's a nice person. She's a fun person she to is, hang out with. I've had drinks with her a few nice, times. Nice to you, perhaps. She is yeah. fun. I, I, I once I was at a party at the late, uh, uh, my dear friend, uh, Kathy Seip, who died 10 years ago, uh, at her house in her backyard. And she invited Ann Coulter. And I was like, I am not going to normalize her as a human being. Yeah, I, I am. Go- I'm going to go to the side of the backyard hmm. to make sure I don't talk to Ann Coulter. And I think I successfully managed it there. But green rooms being such as they are, you end up talking with Ann Coulter. And I think Ann Coulter is a monster, a literal oh, yeah. monster, a terrible human being. And we've had a lot of fun talking. Green let's rooms. let's huh. let's pivot that. Into, I wonder how she'll feel when she hears that <laughs> yeah, no, she's a, a literal monster. She's no, a, I, she's I say a that huge to her fan face. Of the fifth, oh, okay. fifth that's good. Um, that can pivot into something that's kind of interesting that happened in the past week. Is we've seen the fracturing of the Republican Party in you know an obvious way. We all saw this coming. We heard the whispers of it from people who weren't publicly saying it. But in the past week, something different has sort of happened. You get the sense now that the wheels are really coming off this bus. The first, I it reminded me of the Ann Coulter thing is that John Potharitz, uh, Commentary Magazine, 
An early and vociferous critic of Trump. Early, very, very hardcore uh, critic of Trump. And neoconservative. And neoconservative. And familial standing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, father's Norman Potthards. Another one of those guys, but by the way, if you disagree with him, he's a very nice guy. Yeah. Um, but he tweeted, he retweeted something that Ann Coulter tweeted and said, I'm embarrassed to have ever known you. Yeah. And that's a pretty, that's about as strong a, a statement as you can make. And it was after the con business, the um, the family that uh, spoke at the DNC's son died in Iraq, I think 10 years ago. Um, yes. mm-hmm. And she tweeted something about, you know, why do they have, if they wanted a guy, like a Muslim with a funny accent, like get Fareed Zakaria or something. Whose okay. name she just butchered. Butchered and didn't, didn't spell. It was a bad joke and it was uh, nasty and it was uncalled for. And, you know, in these things, now I'm seeing people that are remaining with the Trump camp really just losing a lot of friends on the right. The, the only thing I can think of, is I can think of people that went from left to right in the 60s, and there's a whole lot of these people, um, you know, not just the David Harwood types, a lot of these people that just had kind of second thoughts, Paul Berman, uh, Robert Lichen, people you probably haven't ever heard of. Berman lost, didn't go to the right. He just well, went, he went to he an went, he interventionist went to, Yeah, left, he went right? to a place where he lost a lot of friends, basically. Yeah. And the so Hitchens what we're seeing, place. yeah, the Hitchens place. And what we're seeing now, and we see this um, congressman from upstate New York, who, you know, let's be honest, is not, is not running I think his again. name is Richard Hanna. Hanna right, yeah, yeah, and he's not running for a seat again. And he said, I'm voting for Hillary Clinton, Republican mm-hmm. from New York. Um, you know, seen a handful of those. Yeah, there's there's a, he's the first one elected official saying or, or a member of Congress saying it. There was somebody uh, from Chris Christie's camp. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, which one? Uh, Somebody's campaign. Meg Whitman, of course. Uh, Meg, Meg, Whitman. Meg Whitman, by the way, speaking of Chris Christie, the last time I saw Meg Whitman, I saw her face to face when I was in a firehouse in New Hampshire at a Chris Christie event when I was covering it. And she introduced him and a fulsome introduction. Uh, introduction. And it's funny now because he is like, you know, holding Trump's laundry behind him now. And Meg Whitman, who said, I'm supporting and I will only support Chris Christie, he's the man to run the country, is now saying that I will vote for Hillary Clinton. And there's a whole bunch of these. Yeah. A lot of these people coming out of the woodwork, um, conservative intellectuals, not as many elected people. John McCain, um, very, very harsh uh, statement about the con business again. And the other thing is the people that won't say it, but, but they are saying it. The ones who say, I won't vote for Hillary and I won't vote for Trump. And they're re- elected Republicans, whether they're, you know, Mike Lee, Senator Ben Sass, Ben Sass, Mike Lee is still open. Mark uh, Kirk, perhaps Jeff Flake, I think is Jeff Flake. And who are these people going to vote for? Well, Matt, how about I seg into to something else? Tonight, there is the second finger on the scale from CNN. No, <laughs> having, it's getting having, obvious. It's getting <laughs> obvious now. Having a libertarian town hall with Gary uh, Johnson and I suspect all these people would be voting for Gary Johnson, but it does also appear that he's pulling more people from Hillary. That's what that's what the slightly polls say. more, slightly more. It might be a wash in the end. So Gary Johnson tonight, what's going on? Why are they doing this again? I, mean, I you know, as uh, did we talk about it here? I asked your question to uh, yeah to the uh, to the campaign and. Uh, to the campaign, the Gary Johnson campaign. Yeah, like uh, you know, why is CNN doing this? Are they thumbing the scale? And the answer is off the record. Um, so oh how do gosh! I, okay, wait. Then, let's turn off the mics. I know, but so like I'm trying to figure out how to do. It, you know, it's possible that they are thumbing the scale. They're, do, they're, <laughs> they're, they're doing a second one. Yeah, they're doing a second. This time with Anderson Cooper. Last time with Chris Cuomo, who was subbing in for Anderson Cooper. So they should have a, a much bigger audience. Although Anderson is actually I mean, a very good. They're thumbing jiu-jitsu. the scale so much that he is hosting Anthony Bourdain's show for the next two months. Yeah, it's <laughs> no reservation on an oil derrick where there are no laws. That, that is not actually true. There was. Uh, 
<laughs> would, would that it were? There was an interesting comment by one of the members of the Commission for uh, Presidential Debates, the CPD, uh-huh. which is an organization headed up uh, by five members of the Republican National Committee and five members of the Democratic National Committee. It's designed to thwart third parties. Uh, and they their, their setup is you have to average 15 percent in uh, – select national polls. I think they'll right. choose five uh, before the first debate, which I believe is scheduled for September 26th. And the they, assumpt- they will not choose them at random. They will choose them specifically to keep uh, Gary Johnson out of those debates. But please. Possibly. Uh, the, the the CNBC report from today on this was um, either the member of the chair, I think it was a member of, of, the, uh, of the debate commission, um, said, yeah, you know what? We might actually adjust the requirements a little bit. Hmm. Um, there was a, it was full of qualifications. Like maybe we'll kind of sort of thinking about it in the future. Rand Paul at Freedom Fest two weeks ago said he believes that um, if they are averaging 14.99% that they will not be invited in. Um, but it is possible <laughs> that they'll be yeah. – they'll be, uh, sensitive to public opinion. And and my, the breakthrough, the way I thought about this uh, came today over my first glass of uh, Retsina. Um, <laughs> and it was this, like, it's not Gary Johnson polling at near 15%. He just, a uh, Fox News poll came out uh, right before we started this, it had him at 12%. So that's his yeah. second highest he's been. Um, yeah. But he's it's been actually, 13. it's yeah. actually the negatives of Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Right. The fact that they can't get is if you put uh, Johnson and Stein, Jill Stein's uh, name on the ballot, they really can't get higher than about 40 percent in these things. And their negatives are historically high, might create public pressure that they might feel that they need to respond to. Yeah. Um, You know, I wouldn't bet on it or anything like that, but it is certainly uh, interesting. And it'll be interesting that Fox News poll that came out this uh, afternoon and we're on Wednesday, I believe, right now. Uh, Yeah, yeah, we we will Uh, be this will be. Listen to on Thursday. Um, that poll is the first one that's sort of completely in the controversy uh, period. Yeah, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. And yeah. it has gigantic, gigantic negatives about how Donald Trump has talked about, and totally deservedly so, about the Con family. So it is possible that those poll numbers are going to wiggle uh, uh, pry loose uh, some Republican and conservative voters because right now Hillary is doing much better among conservatives than Gary Johnson, sure. which is really interesting. Uh, I think Paul- the other the other uh, major narrative though over the last few days, and this is really today uh, primarily, although this the revelations aren't particularly new. Uh, MSNBC this morning, uh, Morning Joe uh, interview, uh, Joe Scarborough uh, describes a conversation that took place between Donald Trump uh, and some foreign policy expert. Uh, He did not disclose the person's name, uh, but suggested that Donald Trump three times asked why we cannot use nuclear weapons. Uh, And in the context- As a first strike. Well, I'm I'm not sure. It didn't sound like he was giving that, being that specific. What it actually sounded like he was saying, and and perhaps I'm wrong um, and I'm misremembering, but it sounded like what he was saying was, why can't we use them? We have them. Why can't we build them? Which is some, why, why can't we use them? Uh, which is something that he has said in other contexts as well as with uh, Chris Matthews, I believe, uh, in a in a yeah, in an yeah. interview. Um, and this has this has obviously gotten a lot of people's uh, feathers feathers pretty ruffled. Uh, and a lot of the conversation today, and a lot of the coverage I've seen of this, um, talks about how there's very little time uh, once the president decides that he's going to use these weapons. I mean, there's really nothing you can do about it. Um, he has all of this power, the singular man or woman, as it were. Um, and as um, as the first lady, uh, Michelle Obama, said during the uh, convention, uh, 
the, the belief is, the contention of the never-Trumpers, of, of Hillary Clinton supporters, um, and perhaps of casual observers of politics, um, is that Donald Trump is far too unstable to hold the office because of the power like that um, that is vested in the, uh, in the office. Um, so I think the two things are sort of <clears throat> coming together. Uh, and but this is your old theory, right? This, uh, I mean, you've talked about this before. Well, this is what, good. What, you know, these types of situations enlighten people to the power of the president. Except, right? except what I want to happen is for them to say, well, you know what? I mean, this guy could win. Oh, yeah, stop. No, so we should, probably, we should probably do something. <laughs> no, that's not Maybe we'll get rid of these powers. <laughs> and, and, and I'd actually like them to go a step further. <clears throat> Which is to say that I actually don't know if Donald Trump is completely unhinged or if he is playing some some insane game with everyone. Um, in either case, I don't know that I feel more comfortable with that sort of singular power and ability and responsibility being vested in one person. Why should any person have that sort of power? Because even if they are stable and responsible today, perhaps they won't be tomorrow. And perhaps some other circumstance may come up in which they use bad judgment. I, I thought back to um, John F. Kennedy, the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, where, in fact, we were almost annihilated by a nu- by nuclear war. And even that entire Cold War era, the normal was a policy of mutually assured destruction. What, like do, you, that was what, the, what do you remember about the Cold War? I'm, I'm just <laughs> 12 years old. It's, it's my, I read a lot. Yeah. I read things. Yeah. Do, do, and do, I drew do, lots do. of pictures of, of <laughs> armies like fighting one another, like the USSR, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. missiles and the yeah. United States. In either case, I'm just saying that the normal, the, <laughs> yeah. the status quo at that point was particularly dangerous. And when we look back on it, it's insane. Like that is that is a crazy status quo. And my my biggest concern here and my concern is as as it has ever been, uh, at least so far as so long as I've been saying this uh, with respect to Donald Trump, is that people will look at folks who support Donald Trump and say, it's reprehensible that you could support a guy like this. Look at him. He's so unstable. Which and is then, true. And then support, and then support <laughs> Hillary Clinton as, as though she's the respectable choice, discounting the fact that she has contributed to making the world less safe, less stable, but just point diminishing blank, just, civil liberties. Gee, great, great. Just, just point things. blank, who do you think would be more likely to capriciously let off a nuclear weapon? Capriciously let off a nuclear weapon? <laughs> Whatever. Just let off a nuclear I, weapon. On, like, a, honestly. No, which one? Which I, one? I don't have to make that choice. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Really? No, I really don't. You don't have an opinion of which I'm, one of those two people? I have no people. idea. Which one do you think would be more likely to start a war? I have an opinion about that. It'd be Hillary Clinton. Probably. Okay, so why? But, I, but I, I at least, because I know she's done that before. Okay. I know she has you pushed honestly, for these things. You honestly before. don't think that Donald Trump would be more likely to use a nuclear weapon than Hillary Clinton? If if someone sent him a nasty tweet, he might have a more vociferous response than Hillary Clinton would. I don't know that huh? he would actually use a nuclear weapon. In, I mean, in, I doubt if he were I, in office. I can't. I, don't wrap know. My, I can't wrap my brain but this, around that. That's what I'm saying too. I can't really bring however, myself to believe that. However, he has talked uh, about. Uh, a few overlapping things that are causes for concern. One of the comments under question, which he's talking about, hey, you know, it's, it's a Madeleine Albright style comment mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, where she said in the late 90s, if we have this wonderful military, how come we can't use it? Which right. is something that, you know, um, anti-war libertarian people love to quote as they uh, now ignore anything that uh, Donald Trump uh, says that's equal in um, kind of stupidity. Um but the other is that he wants to roll back alliances. Um, and and third, he thinks, hey, you know what? Uh, nuclear competition isn't bad. Sure. The combination of those three things promises uh, more 
uh, nuke uh, trigger happy world, regardless of what you think of his temperament. And by the way, his temperament is terrible. It's abysmal. He's an awful fucking human being. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm not defending the guy. I'm not saying I like him. The, the reason I don't want to go, um, the reason I, I resist answering that question in a straightforward way is because I don't want to I don't want to be a part of that particular game. Uh, what, what stupid contrarianism is that? It's not contrarianism. You don't want no, to join a crowd. No, no. It's not joining the crowd. Having a judgment to have no, that, no, that you're, happens you're to wrong. go the crowd. That's not what it is. You should play a game. I'm in a, you're I'm identifying in a, a game. Yeah, you're right. And, and I'm saying that I think the binary choice between the two of them is a false one. Like there are plenty of other choices. And, Certainly. And, and the worse, the worseness, the degree to which one is worse than the other, I... Like I said, I really genuinely don't know. But in certain okay. ways, one is worse than the other. Okay, sure, but like uh, on the narrow question, like yeah. like a binary choice between the two of them on trade, I think uh, Trump would be worse. A binary yeah. choice between the two of them on regulations, I think Trump would be better. Right. Like we can sure. make these judgments without maybe. worrying Actually, about maybe. the game. I don't know, but in either but in either case, for me, Why, I know I just I know the policies that I prefer. I know that Gary Johnson would be a far superior candidate to either one of those two goobers. Um, and I know that what I would actually He's like the American people, than, yeah, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, but uh, what I know, what I really know is that I would sure. prefer for the American people, right, to actually be slightly more concerned with the fact that the office is so damn powerful and that at any point in time, anyone would be invested, vested with those sorts of powers than I am for them to be concerned that Donald Trump says things that are uncouth. So on a, on a regular basis. So you'll pass you judgments. Yeah, sure. You'll you'll pass judgments, except if those judgments happen to conflate with the majority of people who are passing negative judgments on Donald Trump. No, because it distracts no, away no, no. from I, your project of wanting to like point people towards I've, the higher argument. I've said I've said repeatedly that I think he is uniquely deplorable in various ways. Um, what is most important to me is that we recognize that his sort of unique awfulness isn't just stuff that disqualifies him for the office. The office itself is inherently dangerous as it is currently constructed. Yeah. That is my perspective. I, I think it's a fair one, but I, I don't know. Moynihan hasn't talked for a while. Yeah, no, on. I haven't, which is a, well, quite a change Shut for the viewers, uh, listeners. <clears throat> is the Vicodin kicking in? Yeah, I just took two Xanax. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think that, that there is a temperament issue that everybody talks about, of course. But I think the bigger issue here is that he's talking about things in a temperamentally sort of unfit way. And he's flying off the handle and he's saying these things that are loathsome and that are, you know, kind of gross in every possible way. But he also does that about policy things. He does. So, yeah. so it's not just temperament. I mean, when you're talking about, you know, um, a Muslim soldier who died in what we can't, by the way, this is very, there'll be a temptation, and I've seen this on Twitter, to criticize the Iraq war when talking about this issue, which I think is is reprehensible in every way. We can criticize the Iraq war five seconds after we talk about this. But if this soldier thought that he was fighting Islamic extremism, that's the important point, right? So is that's what a lot of people thought in 2004 when he was killed by a roadside bomb, I think? I think? It was an IED. Yeah, an IED. So we have a guy who is, uh, you know, actively denouncing the family of, of a soldier who is a Muslim who was fighting in Iraq. One presumes not saying I'm, I'm you know, a conscientious objector. I don't think we should be here. I, we haven't talked. His parents haven't talked about this. But let's presume he was thought this was a just cause. And whether or not we think it was a just cause, the important point here is that these are the people that we need 
on our side in a fight with Islamic extremism. You can't say, and the problem with Donald Trump is not necessarily his temperament, which is disgusting and awful, and and I think uniquely horrible in the history of presidential politics, but it's also the fact that he's not bright. He's not a smart guy. Mm -hmm. And when somebody says, I'm going to figure it out as I go, and the only policy point we have on terrorism is, Um, Barack Obama doesn't call it Islamic extremism. Well, I trust you will call it that, and Barack Obama will be retired. So what (laughs) the fuck do you do then, comrade? Well, the one thing you're going to need to do is not alienate the people that um, are already alienated from the United States, United States policy, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, going down the line. Muslims, particularly Sunni Muslims, are people we need on our side. The idea that we would take somebody who was probably somebody who hated uh, Islamic extremism so much that they joined the American military um, and alienating their family and mm-hmm. they've been killed in Iraq. Yeah. This guy doesn't have a bad temperament. He has a horrible temperament, horrible judgment, and doesn't have a single idea about policy. So, you know, I mean, look at, we are actually talking about a person seriously as a serious candidate who was on television and said that Russia was not in Ukraine and was not in Crimea. And then when called on this, said, oh, you know, I sort of misheard you or whatever the hell he said. Well, you know, now, I mean, now they are. I was talking about the past. He had some bullshit excuse. The guy, I mean, I've said this in the past. Remember in 2000, in 2000 when George W. Bush was quizzed by a Boston uh, uh, TV host from a local affiliate from Fox or NBC or something about the leader of Kazakhstan. Mm-hmm. And everyone howled and said, can you believe we're going we're gonna, to uh, elect this, this uh, oaf? You know, and I was a little appalled at the time, too. It's like, this is the highest office in the land. He should know the leaders he's dealing with, et cetera, et cetera. Quick, quick. Who's the leader? I have no fucking idea. Islam Karmian. That's what Google Google is for. Um, Stop that. uh, uh, (laughs) I will uh, will look it up now. But but (laughs) anyway, but this is, I mean, we have have come to a point now where the guy, he doesn't know anything. And And it's, it's, I mean, it's not like, it's not waitressing. And I, it's and not I, the, I when someone says learning on the fair. job. No, and I understand the point. We say, well, you know, Hillary Clinton, she's very experienced. And she'd be bad at. Well, I don't think she'd be as bad in certain points as 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 Donald Trump would be. And and I think it's amazing to see you know so-called anti-war um, libertarians saying, um, well, Donald Trump, he's our man. Does anyone, what is the selective kind of choice of quotes that we, we take here? Right. Exactly. We're at a point now no, where it's like, well, he said, he said that, you know, Iraq was a bad idea. Well, he said it, he, he didn't actually say that initially. He didn't say the same thing about Libya. He said we should go into Libya and sort that, sort it out. Also, let's not even talk about the contradictions. The idea that we will pick and cherry pick the things that Donald Trump says to suit our purposes and say, well, you know, he is anti-war. It's like he is, you know. Ted Cruz talked about making the sand of Syria glow. Yes. Donald Trump said something similar while while defending carpet bombing, which 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 sort of goes to my point. I mean, for so long, when we look at these these presidential races and certainly the 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 coverage that happens of it in the conventional media beyond the the reach of the uh, fifth columnist. Uh, we we find conversations that make the whole thing look like a beauty contest. And right now, I guess we're asking for sort of. You, you people didn't even use the aptitude test before the beauty contest began because he doesn't have sufficient um, 
he doesn't have all of those sufficient skills to even be able to walk across the stage successfully. Like this. Could so be what is problem. the thing though when we talk about this and the way that that you talk about it now, Camille? Yeah. When if we if we leave out, you know, Iraq, Libya. Afghanistan. <laughs> let's take those things out. No, yeah, honestly. Take them and out. then let's add them. Yeah. Let's, but let's first take them out. Yeah. And say Hillary Clinton will be uniquely awful for the United States of America. Um, what are those issues? And I'm not, this is not, this is not a gotcha. I mean, I'm, I'm honestly wondering what your view of this is. What are the things that Hillary Clinton uh, would do or that has said or part of her, her platform that are terrifying to you beyond foreign policy? Beyond foreign policy is the principal concern. Let's take those out and we'll yeah, go back to foreign we, policy. If but if take, we take, if it we out, take that out, yeah. I think some of the civil liberty stuff are uh, are a pretty significant concern as well. Um, you know, like the, the ones about, and, and I, about and I not guess allowing we're, we're an entire talk- religion into the country. <laughs> <laughs> and no, look, that's a that's a grave concern as well. And I, as I've said, like I don't like that. Yeah. Um, I think it is contemptible and awful and but miserable. But let's hear more about Hillary. But Pro-torture, I still think, yeah, but yeah. I still think, but I still think plenty of um, Hillary Clinton's other perspectives on some of the various civil li- liberties questions that have come up um, since nine eleven, for example. Um, the fact that when we learn about these things, she and others like her have supported incarcerating the guy who has given us material that helps us to better understand the nature the nature of the the national intelligence apparatus that had been spun up to monitor and surveil the American people. Which guy are you talking about? Uh, Edward Snowden. Okay, now the follow-up question, I think— Donald Trump said Snowden should be executed or something like that. But is there anyone in public life, including Barack Obama and on the Republican side, with maybe the exception, exception of a certain person from Michigan, who, who, <laughs> would, who would say something different about that? In, in mainstream politics? In mainstream politics. Yeah, not many. Jill Stein said that she would uh, nominate Edward uh, uh, Snowden to her cabinet. Okay, well, there, there are not many. Yeah. There's certainly not yeah. many holding on the vaccine office. beat, maybe. But this, is, but, this, but this is precisely yeah. my point. Yeah. That... My concern is always um, in by by defending the institution and the importance of keeping out this particular insane person uh, that we by indirectly at any point. Essentially uh, find ourselves defending the status quo. And is, I, but and is that's, there something and that's to be said? Concern. And this is an and, honest and I question. Do, and I do see that. I do see that on the left when I hear when I hear like the sanctimonious condemnation of people who say, "How could you possibly support this guy? He is he is obviously a racist. Therefore, you are also a racist." I, I'm not certain that I would have. I would be filled with so much sanctimony if the candidate that I was actually supporting was one of these people. The que- the, the, do you get, do you, yeah, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. But the question, the question I ask is that is there, and let's ch- slight change of gears from the same yeah, subject, yeah. is there something to be said, and I think it's an undervalued uh, uh, thing, is, that, is there something to be said for stability in the sense that the, the destabilizing force of Donald Trump, whether it's in the international political scene, whether it's in the domestic political scene, whether it's, you know, burning old alliances, you know, having allies turn their backs on us, um, you know, destroying institutions that that I don't think deserve to be destroyed, uh, you know, like NATO, for instance. I, I was uh, just going to say, I know, and everyone, everyone, everyone hates NATO, but I'm I'm sort of okay with it, uh, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> uh, is there something to be said that like the turmoil that this man is causing within the his own political party, 
He's a late adopter to the political party, but his own political party, the turmoil caused internally. There was a report today I saw. Uh, I can't remember where I saw. Maybe it was, maybe it was I saw it linked a lot. Maybe it was Red State or something, a place I don't don't normally uh-huh. read that said that, that that internally Republicans are preparing for some sort of intervention. It was, I think it was on Red State. Sure. It's been it's been denied since then, but there was going to be an intervention with uh, Rudy Giuliani, Newt Gingrich and Paul Manafort. <laughs> so, like, imagine how bad your life has gotten when it's those three guys going to come and calm you down. Yeah, I mean, it, it, at that point, when your own party is saying that that you are unstable, you cannot be trusted with the the keys to the presidency. Uh-huh. Um, no matter the fact that every other previous president has been horrible too. Um, there is something to be said for for when you're relying so much on the fact that I, we hope the guy's not doesn't believe what he says. That's a lot to bank on for a for a leader of the quote unquote, quote unquote leader of the free world with all that power in his well, hands. Power in his hands. I don't I, I don't like that dice throw. I hear but you. but you know at this point is that I think there's something to be said um, for stability in global markets in you know just, relationships tra- you know I mean I, trade relationships. I guess it depends on what wars. you it depends on what you call stability. Um, and and it's certainly true that we have had if you take a very long view we've had fair amount of stability. Yeah. If you take a narrower view, though, um, certainly the Middle East like doesn't seem more stable than when Barack Obama took office, for example. No. So just looking at the last eight years. No, but, but, but by the way, that, at, that like, is the Financial results. markets, like they've been roiled by, again, the, the same thoughtful people who were in office and doing all of the, the right and responsible things, or at least perceived as right and responsible. And I, I get it. The turmoil in the party, like that doesn't I just, No, but I'm just, I'm using that as an example but of I hear how you. divisive he yeah. is, even in his own party. And I would say one thing in the Middle East, just to end on this, and maybe we can we can shift to NATO or your experiences last night in front of your apartment. Okay, yeah, I don't know. Uh, we're going to get to no that. No one wants we're to hear get, about no, the no, 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 no. We absolutely do. We absolutely do. menaced by thugs. Relax. Don't. That is racist. <laughs> um, the the thing about the Middle East is what is that there is a um, I think I might have mentioned it on the fifth column in the past, but there is an instinct amongst Americans to believe that we are the center of gravity in the world and the center of the universe, and that nothing happens without us. the The difficulties in the Middle East. Uh, the violence in the Middle East, the instability in the Middle East is, you know, existed before the Iraq war. It was uh-huh. exacerbated greatly by the Iraq war. That's right. And what happened, you know, on Obama's watch is, you know, he has a, a great responsibility for in a lot of senses. The same thing, definitely true in Libya, too. Mm-hmm. But what is happening here is we realize that in the Arab Spring, there's cascading, you know, quote unquote, Absolutely. freedom movements yeah. that were a result of local dictatorships. And how they've treated their people for so long. Right. But the thing is, there's a different quality to the Middle East when that actually happens and people go out in the street and protest here. If it's Black Lives Matter, if it's the Tea Party, whatever, we don't mow them down with helicopter gunships. And that's what happens in the Middle East, which is what happened basically in Syria. Massacres after protests. Same thing is true in, in Libya. So, you know, there is a lot that we do to destabilize these regions in, you know, trying supposedly trying to help these regions uh-huh. we screw it up a lot yeah. um, and make it worse. But the Middle East is a self-contained and these countries are self-contained units that would be utterly buggered without us, too. So I always like to keep in perspective that there's, you know, sort of native problems there, too, that we don't we're we not are, responsible. We are, I think that's, we are not omnipotent. I want to make a couple of fair. points very quickly before we pivot to your uh, savage beating. At <laughs> no, the we heart. should we should talk. We should talk uh, about the NATO thing a little bit. I, yeah, but I want I want to I want to answer Moynihan's question. Of why is Hillary Clinton bad? She's bad because she has adopted all of the worst while rejecting all of the best of Bernie Sanders program. Hmm. So she's now in favor of a 15 
$15 minimum wage. She wants to make Medicare eligible for people who are 55, not 65, at a time when we're spending 70 cents on the dollar on mandatory programs plus debt service. Like we are in the middle of of what the Congressional Budget Office describes as just impending fiscal tragedy. And yeah. she's like, yeah, let's just, uh, I don't know, if you're kids – Going to school, you have a household income less than $125,000, free. Um, just throwing free shit out there on economics while disregarding Sanders' position on the drug war, on war war. She mm-hmm. still describes Libya as a smart power at its best, although we're not supposed to talk about foreign policy. Um, but, um, <laughs> but on free speech, oh, she's, un- build up to foreign policy. she's uniquely awful. I mean, she 10 years ago, she was trying – 10 years ago, not that long ago, she was trying to get through a flag-burning uh, law in Congress. What the fuck? Uh, she's got a 25, 30 year history about doing this. And the way that it'll translate now is that whenever there's a terrorist attack, she says we have to have like a golden key into that iPhone, into that technological system. Mm-hmm. We can't have yeah. freedom out there doing this. We have to shut down parts. Uh, we have to encourage Facebook and YouTube to close down parts of the Internet where people are celebrating jihadist violence and this kind of thing, which is dumb just on a practical level of you want to know where they are. You want to have them to leave a, a, a breadcrumb trail. So she's bad on all of that stuff. Plus, she lies her face off repeatedly again this week talking about her email. She just can't talk about it straight. And someone who will look you in the eye and absolutely lie about something that has to do with their own accountability while on your dollar, taxpayer yeah. dollar, um, uh, strikes me as very, very bad. It, is, it, is it not a little bit worse when the person can do it convincing, convincingly and persuasively? I don't think she's very persuasive, but I think she gets away with it because people don't care. Um, because well, they, that, that, Donald that, Trump is worse is and because they've talked themselves into believing the uh, vast right-wing conspiracy uh, notion that, ah, so those Republicans overreaching again. So even though she lied six times, totally provably about the email scandal, it doesn't really fucking matter. Well, can we can we turn to NATO for a little bit? Because sure. that is that has been another another sort of recent thing that has come up. Uh, and Matt, you you mentioned uh, the piece by Pat Buchanan, which I believe was titled. Uh, is is Donald Trump the peace candidate? Yeah, he had about seventy five thousand question marks in, in, this, uh, in this piece. This uh, is this is actually a question he doesn't bother trying to answer in the article because he makes a very narrow case for. I, I, I'm I'm being maybe generous, but he makes a narrow case for NATO in particular and suggests that Donald Trump has the correct position on NATO because Donald Trump suggests that we should not necessarily um, meet our obligations. Uh, with respect to the treaties that are in place um, and went a step further and suggested that we should probably get out of the NATO agreement and instead use diplomacy and get the Russians to just say that they won't do things like go into Estonia. <laughs> the phrase is the phrase in this fucking piece. Just they'll promise. Uh, is that uh, what we should do, we should trade, make a, make a grand bar- bargain and uh, we'll have Russia ensure the independence of the Baltic states. Yeah. <laughs> Which they've done a great job doing recently. Ensure... Mm-hmm. The independence of the Baltic states, and in return, we will um, we will withdraw NATO from those countries, and that should work out just fine. And and not smash them with economic sanctions, which is which is what his suggestion is. His his position, which which interestingly reminded me of um, in a it, it's a, in a less sophisticated way something that uh, I believe was Henry Kissinger had wrote, written like earlier this year. Um, about uh, U.S. Uh, U.S. policy with respect to Russia, um, which I believe he described as, as just disliking uh, Putin is not uh, is not a policy position <laughs> that is not sufficient. I agree. Um, and making sure he doesn't um, invade and take over uh, 
nice, friendly countries who are too small to defend themselves, I think is a is a, is a, is a better position. But then the than question, but then the question that, but then the the question that Buchanan asks in his piece is, is it worth it to the United States to get into potentially a, a nuclear conflict or at least a military conflict with another nuclear power? Um, in order to preserve the, freedom I mean, of the, those, it's, I of think it's really questions. funny that the great that difference, the, the great asks. difference between the media in the United States and the sort of kind of ideology of the stuff in the United States versus Russia. Uh-huh. I would give anyone forty thousand rubles. I don't even know how much that is. Uh, <laughs> I think that's find, twenty dollars to find a anyone in Russia saying, "Is it worth pissing off the Americans?" <laughs> to, to this yeah. is this is the Russians don't think this way. Which I just a, a small point, which which I, I think is pretty funny. Um, what is important is Pat Buchanan is is about a half step away from being a fascist. He always has been. He is somebody who worked for the Nixon administration gleefully and is about next to Roger Stone in excusing the crimes of the Nixon administration. He's been very generous to people like John Demjanjuk, the accused uh, Nazi, who was definitely. Uh, a camp guard is a long history of his insane policies. And after 1991, he was went from Cold War warrior to to somebody who was rather sympathetic, uh, increasingly sympathetic to to the, to to Russia, and mostly because he enjoyed the authoritarianism uh, and the collusion with the Orthodox Church. Last He's become- last year, for example, he he went on a, an extended jag about how Vladimir Putin was the last person defending marriage. Uh, in the name of Christendom in, yeah, in a yeah. heathen world. Yeah, and these are people that put, put um, you know, uh, sort of 19th century socialist issues above, you know, the authoritarian tendencies uh, and now just the flat authoritarianism of the Putin regime. And, I mean, to, to this stuff that, you know, they should guarantee the sovereignty of countries whose sovereignty they've been trying to undermine since they were liberated in 1991. I mean, remember in 2007, the Russians launched major crippling cyber attacks in Estonia because the Estonians dared to take a statue out of Tallinn that was a Red Army statue from when they were occupied by, you know, people don't like imperialism when they're talking in this kind of Howard Zinn, mm-hmm. Chomskyite way. They seem to not mind imperialism. And I see there's a lot of people like Stephen F. Cohen from The Nation magazine who is, might as well just be getting checks from the Kremlin. They don't see, seem to mind imperialism when it's in the sphere of influence. These are distinct countries with distinct languages and cultures that have been occupied multiple times by aggressive Moscow. And for some reason, we are once again saying it Republicans, this is the weird thing about it, Republicans changing the language in like at, at the convention, mm-hmm. changing the language, which they, by the way, the, the, the um, Trump campaign denied that they had anything to do with this language change that in said the platform in the platform that said, you know, we won't do anything to defend the sovereignty of Ukraine. It's an explicit change. And explicit, uh, you know, uh, wink to Moscow and saying, hey, we're sort of on your side. We don't mind if you expand in the region. These, by the way, what usefulness is NATO? Ukraine, not a NATO country. Georgia, no. Aspirational to to Europe and NATO, not a NATO country. Mm -hmm. So two countries in the sphere that have been uh, fucked with and occupied. Uh, You know, there's a third, I think it's a third of of Georgian territory, Abkhazia and South Ossetia, it's still occupied by by the Russians. Gary, and, jo- Gary guess- Johnson, uh, uh, when we interviewed him in uh, Cleveland, 
uh, made a Camille Pat Buchanan point of like, hey, I don't think. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, no, I'm, nice. I'm lumping you fuckers <laughs> That's together. Good. That's good. Yeah. Because there's this there's this uh, idea um, which is backwards, which uh, in the way that Gary Johnson put it. And I criticized uh, him and argued with him into his face about this is that, well, how would we feel if Russia um, put their troops into Mexico? This is wrong think in a yeah. huge way. And here's why it's wrong think. Um, Mexico doesn't want Russia. Mm -hmm. That's kind of an important difference, right? Um, the Baltics are tiny countries. And when they shifted away from imperialist subjugation and into capitalist liberal democracies, um, they said, hey, you know what? We would love to not spend 90% of our GDP on defense. We would love to join an existing alliance. Tell us what we need to do to join. Now, we can argue about what uh, should the alliance exist? Mm -hmm. uh, should it expand? Which countries belong? I, for one, don't think that Ukraine belongs, Georgia belongs uh, in those countries. I hope, I hope you don't think Turkey belongs. It's sad. Well, yeah, Turkey's uh, grandfathered in. I, I don't think Turkey belongs. I think I was I lived in, in that part of the world when Hungary and the Czech Republic uh, and uh, and Slovakia and Poland joined. And the great misnomer by idiots in America, by which I mean Thomas L. Friedman, um, was that it was somehow like a big play of an American, you know, Czech ethnic lobby that allowed this to happen as if there would ever be a thing like the Czech ethnic lobby in this country. No, it was Václav Havel, Arpad Gens, Lech Walesa, and whoever the hell from Slovakia who were at uh, the christening or the groundbreaking of the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. Bill Clinton did not want to expand NATO. It wasn't on his things to do list. It was a pain in his ass. He thought, like a lot of people thought, hey, look, you know, Cold War's over. We got to come up with something. And what all these guys said is, I can't believe that you're going to talk here and, and have your pious comments about a Holocaust museum, um, which is a museum talking about what happens when one of these big countries straddling Central Europe decides to subjugate the other and start persecuting minorities. You're going to talk about all of that. And yet we still have, in many cases, Russian bases on our soil and we don't have security guarantees and we would have to spend all of our money on on, you know, becoming a garrison state uh, in order to defend ourselves. You need to expand NATO. But the, so it was them asking. It was them I, ask, I acting sure. as an individual sovereign state and requesting. It wasn't America saying, hmm, how close can we get to Russia to stick a middle finger up into their eye? Yeah, and that's I'm, the way that follow, it is frequently talked about. I, and that is just fucking wrong. And I follow I follow all of that. I think that the fundamental question from from strident non-interventionists like myself, not Pat Buchanan, and I won't even speak for Gary Johnson, but for me, is where do you decide to draw these lines? Because it seems somewhat arbitrary. I mean, it's not as though there isn't a minority population in the Middle East, in a particular place, Iraq, that we just liberated not too long ago, that was making similar requests that wanted to be able to set up a state of their own and be autonomous. Let me that answer your question. Been, that has been branded a terrorist organization by a member of NATO and has been persecuted and had all sorts of other horrible things happen to them. In the, and there are various other places. Like in, the the, early, in the early 90s, or through, through to, to about the late 90s, there were a series of requirements. Uh, one is that you had to have... Um, you had to pass certain thresholds of rule of law. You had to have had resolved all outstanding border disputes with neighboring countries. You had to respect 
uh, and have legal protection for minorities within your own country, particularly minorities who belong to minorities that uh, that live in, in uh, surrounding countries. So the Baltics, and especially Lithuania, I believe, have a lot of ethnic Russians. And I still don't think that they have as many protections as they should in, in the Baltics, though Michael probably knows more about this than I do. Um, and so there was this series of things. And, and that actually the, the NATO ascension, uh, accession uh, talks actually calmed down what, what was nearly uh, at least a heavy breathing uh, series of incidents between mm-hmm. Hungary and Slovakia back then. It calmed those tensions way down. So if you passed all these hoops, this is why I say Ukraine and Georgia uh, and some other uh, countries, Romania, I think, came in too soon. Uh, the Bulgaria came in too soon. They don't have as much rule of law. Like, you got to get your shit together. Um, and, you know, obviously we as Americans, and I don't think that this was ever done in a proper way. And this is the one place that I think that Tom self Rebens have a point. You talk about it, <laughs> you know, like uh, let's let's have a discussion about it. There wasn't a lot of public discussion about it. And a lot mm-hmm. of it was super ill-informed. Um, but uh, what those countries were arguing was just simply that, OK, you know, you can have your theoretical uh, conversations. Meanwhile, there is a power vacuum here and we don't want to be invaded by uh, bad guys. Yeah. So can we join your club if we pass the, if we pass the test? There's no country in the Middle East that would come close to any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the countries, even are on the rims of the former uh, near abroad and the former Soviet territories, wouldn't uh, pass those territories. We've let some of those standards slip, and I think that is a mistake. And I, I think, it, the, and I don't know that Ukraine would meet all of those standards. They would not, either. right? Well, which is, which is yeah, an important d- d- point. It depends on when, but yeah, I mean, right, right now, I would say, look, the, the success of NATO, in a way, is that you know, let's just put this very starkly in one sentence: Vladimir Putin is aware of Article Five. And he is not going to to trigger Article 5 by invading a country that is within NATO and triggering the Article 5 alliance. And every, you know, one nation attacked, all the others have to defend it. It's not something he wants to do. It's, but what, it's, if, it's, it's, but what it's, if he did? Well, you know, he would lose a war. And that is very rapidly lose a war. I think, I think he, would, he, would, he would win quickly because it would, be, take, it would take a, a like, couple of weeks. As people talk about this all the time, how it would take to marshal. But it would not go well for him in the long run. And he would be isolated for a number of reasons, et cetera. But the one thing I just want to broadly talk about is the way we think about root causes. And, and this might sound like a strange thing to say, but everybody I talk to um, who is, you know, blames themselves for every terror attack that happens. What have we done in what country to make somebody mad? You know, we've talked about this in the show before. And this is something that a conversation I get in with people almost every day, because anytime something blows up somewhere, whether it's in, you know, um, Paris or if something is going mad in, in Iraq, it's always, what did we do to bring this on and how can we stop it, right? I'd like to apply that. I like I ask people to apply this in all directions because we only do it in one direction. One is in which we are the bad guy, we're the fall guy, we created the situation. Let's think about that in the context of NATO. So we pushed up, and Pat Buchanan says this, and you know all the NATO haters say this, we pushed up against Russia's sovereign territory, we did it, as Matt points out, these were sovereign nations that got their sovereignty in 1991 in peace, under you know, peaceful circumstances and made this decision for themselves. They petitioned. They wanted to be part of this alliance because they were part of the Warsaw Pact against their will. They wanted to be part of the pact that, you know, was on the other side, that actually ensured their, their safety against a Goliath Russian state who is hungry and likes to eat up its neighbors. So everyone... The, I always find it funny that the people that are here talking about the anti-war, um, uh, you know, I would say anti-war types. I mean, 
and that's you know who, I, who I'm talking about, <laughs> that say, you know, look, every time something happens, it's our fault. Why can't we apply this to Estonia, Lithuania, and Latvia and say they are rationally reacting to, to the sort of subjugation and military occupation of their own countries. So therefore, their response is not to blow things up, but is to ask to join a military alliance that would protect them. Mm-hmm. So, but, oh, the way this is filtered through these assholes is to say, is to say that America, because we're you know omnipotent, we do everything, America drove all this 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 NATO power up into the borders of Russia and angered the bear. No, my friend, the bear angered these people who were occupied since 1917 in a lot of places, brutally so, ethnically cleansed, mm-hmm. and they want protection. And I, I think what is all wrong of that, with that? All of that is entirely fair. And I suspect if someone were here that was going to defend that particular perspective, yeah. the the blame America first crowd, um, or at least even the perspective that the United States has done something wrong by placing its military closer and closer to Russian borders, they would talk about uh, a promise that was made to the former it's Soviet Union. It's not true. It's not true. It's important to point out that that's not true. I, I it was, is not true. I was yeah. going to point it out as well. <laughs> I am actually leaving it there yeah. for the audience who's yeah. listening. Matt is actually, yeah. he's, he's red. He yeah. is completely, he's beat red. Can you please take a picture, Moynihan? It is the claim, it's the claim that's made. It's the claim that's made. It's it's a claim that even um, Mikhail uh, Gorbachev, if not if I'm not mistaken, oh, what a surprise. says it's not true. Um, so, Actually, I find it surprising that he says that's not true. Yeah, he says uh, it's not true. There, there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post this um, for people who, who um, you know, are interested in the subject. It's actually a pretty interesting subject. There's a great piece, and I think it's from The Spectator, um, that, yeah, it's the, the headline on this. Actually, you know what? I won't post it because it'll just be look weird if this is posted. But this is a, a, a Pavel Strovolov in The Spectator revealed, colon, this is 2014, the Kremlin files which prove that NATO never betrayed Russia. And uh, secret official records contradict the stab in the back myth that justifies Russian expansionism. Yeah. It's a pretty interesting piece, and it lays that myth to rest. And that and that's not and that's not my perspective. And as as you know, uh, Michael, I'm not a blame America first uh, person. My my perspective is you're blame things, America second. person. No, no. My thing is <laughs> my thing is that the universe the universe you're is compli- blame, you're blame the white man. No, first. no. The world is complicated. <laughs> it is often there are often unintended consequences to the best of yeah. the best of uh, intended actions that have been well thought out. Um, and I do I do wonder. Like, at what point does the United States go um, and engage in a military conflict in order to prevent something bad from happening someplace else? I, I think, Matt, you you have laid out the case ably for NATO. I understand your perspective. I wouldn't argue that NATO has had um, nothing but miserable consequences. I wouldn't suggest that at all. I think uh, in general, certainly for that part of the world— um, that the consequences thus far have been largely beneficial. Um, that said, going forward and in general, um, I don't know that having uh, the sort of alliance that might actually precipitate like a for real like shooting war between the United States and Russia in order to preserve the the um, the sovereignty of of of. Small, any, really cool countries. Sure, that should exist. I'm, I'm not sure if that's if that's something that should be triggered automatically. At a minimum, it seems to me that there ought to be a conversation that happens like I agree. now. I agree. I just would point out that deterrence, and this is true also of nuclear weapons, mm-hmm. deterrence is a thing. 
Okay. And, and, and it's a and the deterrence. The deterrence doesn't thing. disappear if it is not if it is not automated. That's that's all I'm that's all I'm saying. It doesn't With, disappear. In the Perhaps case it diminishes. In the case but, of the Baltics, mm-hmm. in the case of uh, of Pat Buchanan's grand bargain, it would. If we removed our security guarantees, Russia would invade the Baltics. Of that, I would bet my okay. life savings, right. which admittedly isn't very much. We don't have a lot of time left, yeah, we, and we I want to talk about back. you being called a coon we'll step by back people. From, we'll step back from NATO. Um, yeah, so the, this is the short version, um, and, and I, I don't even know that we'll be able to get into the the piece in the New York Times this weekend about the uh, 50 or so uh, organizations that came together and released um, – a, a terrible, rambling, incoherent statement, which I believe they call, described as having six points, but had this no less Black Lives than, Matter related it's, groups. It's some Black Lives Matter related groups. Um, they described themselves, uh, and they described themselves in, in a document as in response to the sustained and increasingly visible violence against black the black community in the U.S. and globally, a collective of more than fifty organizations representing thousands of Black people from across the country have come together with renewed energy and purpose to articulate a common vision and agenda. Um, they argue for all manner of incoherent things um, in this document, including uh, freeing the sort of uh, heroes uh, of the revolution that, that Michael has talked about uh, <laughs> on this podcast before, like Asada Shakur, people who killed yeah, cops. Yeah. Uh, they, don't, they don't make any argument for them not having done these things. They don't uh, excuse it in any particular way. They just say, let them go. Wait, uh, wait, wait. Any... D- d- is it mentioned Asada Shakur directly? Uh, I don't know if it does. Okay. I, actually, often, I, think they, it, they, I think it does. Though. They often do. I think it does mention her directly. Yeah. Um, as well as uh, five or six other people, but but I'm I'm giving you a big a big sort of bite. I'm telling you that we're not really going to get into that part as much because they want my story. Apparently, in New York City right now, there are a group of children, um, and I guess not children. Let me just say Black Lives Matter activists. This is what they call themselves, um, who are protesting outside of City Hall and have been doing so for about three days. And this is um, close I hope to where it's over live. right now. I live near City Hall. Um, and at a particular time, the park in front of City Hall where they have been encamped uh, closes. And rather than get into an altercation and go to jail nobly um, so that they can save me uh, any sort of inconvenience, they've decided to move their encampment down the street uh, to the park right in front of my building. Oh, here it comes. Um, and yesterday I get home and I've been on the road for a while and I discover that there is a massive swarm of people moving down the street. Uh, it's a motley crew. Uh, they look like a Benetton ad, but it's a motley crew nonetheless. Uh, and by Benetton ad, I just mean there are, there are people of various hues there. Uh, and I asked the, the guy at the door, what's going on? And he says, oh, it's the Black Lives Matter kids. They're, they're trying to turn this park into the new Zuccotti Park. Like, they yeah. don't want to leave. They're going to yeah. stay here. I said, stay here, what, like all week? He's like, I don't know. Seems like indefinitely. I decide to to talk to them. Oh no! And I go over. Oh, no. I go over, and I, I'm don't, I, I don't raise my voice. Don't talk to them, Camille. This is a bad idea. <laughs> this is like ra- reading the comments on YouTube. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, re- exactly. I don't raise my voice. I don't get excited. Sure. I have my dog with me, and you guys know my are, dog is. Are you rocking a T-shirt like this? Yes, so it's I'm a rocking a T-shirt. Sun's out, like guns this, out. So okay. I'm getting ready to go to bed, so they they can see that you know the boy's a little jacked. <laughs> yeah. and, and we hey, start. What's up, AR15? <laughs> and we start to talk. And we start to talk. And I, I just say, who's in charge? Oh, man. And they said, there's no one in charge. Yeah, yeah. And I said, okay, well, who put up the Facebook group that got you guys here? Well, some other Facebook group. Okay, well, who put up that one? I want to talk to the person who is thoughtful and Going reasonable here. Just give yeah. me some some yeah. sense of what it is you want. Yeah. Um, long story short is when I first approached, it was, hey, brother. And about four and a half minutes later, once 
it seemed as though I might not be totally on board with their agenda, despite the fact that I said, I hate the prospect of police abusing their powers and needlessly harassing innocent people. Like I said that about a minute later, I was peppered with nasty expletives uh, and words like coon. Coon. Um, and various other and various other things that I, I just I don't really recall because I realized at that point I'd been enveloped Who by this crowd. Um, but I've been enveloped by the crowd. I had my dog with me. Wait, I wait, started wait, to wait, leave. Wait. So they had surrounded you. I mean, you it's just the, there's just a lot of people. I yeah. mean, and they start to come around and there are cameras in my face. It wasn't it, it's not the sort of thing that I was like intimidated. I didn't feel this like last, I was being menaced. Night, right? This is last night. Yeah. Um, but I have my dog with me, and I and he's a By little way, skittish. Just so, just so you know, everybody uh-huh. knows. I'm li- you're going to keep telling a story. I'm literally going onto YouTube yeah, to see if anyone posted it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of. I mean, there were a lot. Your of Your dog's not I small. I would be shocked. I would be shocked. So if you're the walking video in wasn't. jacked with an attitude. You're telling people. By <laughs> yeah. the way, I'm not black. I didn't say any of that. Yeah, I didn't say any. It didn't get to that. Um, and honestly, once they started like saying things like that, I mean, I, she had pointed out we we are out here to protest police racism, and I said, like what? And that's oh, when no. that's when she got like really upset. Like if you even have to ask. Um, and she mentioned stop and frisk, a policy that I don't think exists in New York anymore formally. I think that's they still do thing. some. They still do li- some things. A light version but of it. Yeah, yeah. But at any rate, um, you know, I'm talking to them and I get in return Kuhn. Um, I, as I'm leaving, someone is following me, following me home uh, with a camera because he suggested that I was an undercover officer. Uh, Another thing that I had to say, come again? What did you say? Uh, And as I'm leaving, another gentleman comes up and he is making not so vague threats uh, and suggesting that he would like to have some sort of physical altercation with me. What does he say? It's it's actually, it's the sort of thing that would be a little, I asked the guy who's following me if he wants to come upstairs and another dude comes and said, I want to come upstairs. (laughs) I want to come upstairs. And he's posturing and he's backing up and Mm -hmm. I'm looking down at him as, as, his uh, stunted five foot four round frame and thinking, um, I would never get into a physical altercation with you. Not because I wouldn't pummel you, yeah. but because it's not worth it. Like there are cameras all over the place. Like even if you pushed me, I'd probably walk away with my dog. Um, the I only think thing that's probably a good decision. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the only thing that could have made that situation go badly is if my wife was there and she was like, Camille, come on, let's go. Because that would have been a little humiliating. Because I'm leaving with the dog and there's there's a lady Wait, so like you're, telling you you're, to leave. You're preemptively so blaming Tracy, who's there, not even there. Had she been there, that could have been a problem. But because she wasn't there, the only thing that the Black Lives Matter kids did to me, some of them, uh, was call me uh, call me derogatory racial names. Did you get Uncle uh, Tom which is at least? Not, which is not surprising. I am sure it happened. I wasn't really Were you, like, tuned was, in. Was, was like I didn't. Too I didn't chaotic at some point. Yeah, there or? was a bunch of kids. There was a cacophony of sounds. So the question is, um, and uh, again, we're taping. I don't this know. Is that story Wednesday. exciting? It is exciting. I, I like. <laughs> I'm tr- I was trying to find video. That's why I'm being, yeah. being quiet. Yeah. Because uh, I see. I see they attacked uh, somebody. Uh, they they pushed uh, the Trump supporter the out of the park. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a video of that from. Uh, from RT and the police, the police, <laughs> the police were NATO. the police were there though. The police were there when they pushed this person out of the park, and they're just screaming, pushing this person out of the park. No racist, no racist. The person doesn't do anything to resist. Yeah, there's a video of it. and gets yeah. pushed out, I just, and that's it. I just watched it. Um, yeah. And in, and as this confrontation is happening with me, the police are directly across the street. I mean, just 
I mean, very, very much right there. So I'm hearing they don't that move. You, they don't do anything. You had to retreat to the police. No, I didn't retreat. I went. I went inside of my. <laughs> you went inside, I went inside I, my I, building. I went inside my. Dorm, I went inside my building inside away my from the police. Doorman building downtown. Um, yeah. I did talk to the cops Your this Frank morning. Frank Gary though. designed doorman. Yeah, it's building beautiful. Downtown. It's a beautiful building. Yeah. I talked to the cops this morning though, and and it's interesting when I when I approach the cops and I am downtown and and headquarters for the police is down there. I see cops all the time. Most of them say hello, and there's like no issues because there's not a hell of a lot of crime in downtown financial district. Um, this today is like the first time I've ever approached cops and had them like start to get like a little tense or see me. And they're watching me really carefully because they don't know if I am part of this protest yeah. situation. And I come up and I start talking to them with my dog this morning. Um, and there's like six of them there. And this is weird. Like they're stationed all over the place downtown. Um, and I say, guys, you know, just wondering what's going on, you know, what are, what are your expectations? Are they coming back? And initially they seem kind of closed off when they realize that I'm not a supporter of them. There's like this sigh of relief. Yeah. They, they chill really, yeah. really hard. And I, I asked them, I was like, what are your rules of engagement? Like, what is the situation here? Um, and what they disclosed um, was that they're pretty much just try to stay away Unless these kids start to completely mangle things, because they would love, they would love to have some sort of incident. Uh, they would with love the cops. a confrontation with the police, especially because you know everybody has a has a camera that shoots 4K now. I mean, they have yeah. iPhone sixes that uh, you know these these poor people with their iPhone sixes and are ready to, to to put this stuff online immediately and prove their narrative. One quick thing to to add to that, because I know we're coming up against our uh, our out here. Is that the the I sent you that story a few days ago? I remember I, I mm -hmm. sent you the New York Times one. Yeah, yeah. Fla and, you know, flagrantly in, in incoherent list of demands. Yeah, so the list of demands from the Black Lives Matter movement, um, which is leaderless in the same way that um, supposedly leader, in the same way that um, Occupy was, mm -hmm. but enough leaders and they have enough uh, steam behind them that 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 you know the New York Times actually wrote about it and said this is the list of demands from Black Lives Matter. There are, as you said, six demands. There are sub demands that have, you know, 10 under each one of these six banners. And it reminded me of something that that was a bumper sticker that I used to see in college in Northampton, Massachusetts, where I lived, which is, you know, I mean, it's a sort of Khmer Rouge type town. And they, there was always there was always this bumper sticker that said feminism is the radical idea that women are equal. Now. I am somebody that would consider myself a feminist, if that is the definition. Absolutely true. Absolutely. I have a daughter. I mean, I'm 1,000% on board with that. But the problem was that I was in college at the time, and I knew that not to be true. This idea of feminism is a radical idea that people are... It's like, no, it actually comes with a radical political agenda that I disagreed with. That were just like, I didn't, I didn't agree. I wasn't, you know, uh, somebody that thought... Uh, Ralph Nader would have been the best president for the country. So, I mean, I, this was generally, you could not be on that side, have that sort of identifier as a feminist and be someone who says, you know, I think it was really, really great that Margaret Thatcher became the first female leader of the United Kingdom. You couldn't do that, right? Same thing is true here in the sense that it's this great trap you fall into because, you know, Black Lives Matter, is it's either that or Blue Lives Matter, this other dopey kind of other side of this. And there's no in between. So if I were to ever say publicly, I can't imagine what would happen if I did this publicly amongst my friends, amongst my peers, amongst people in the place that I live, which is, you know, upper middle class in New York, Brooklyn place. If I were to say, I disagree with the Black Lives Matter movement, there would be apoplexy. There'd be waves of it. How could you do this? It's the same yeah. thing as this bumper sticker. It's the radical idea that people are equal kind of thing. Yeah, that's and then not you, what it is. It's not what it is. That's the thing is I would love 
To, I mean, I think these all these shootings that have happened, I have some perspective on them, understanding how frequent they are now versus how frequent they were 20 years ago. I think we've made progress. I think there's not enough project progress. I love body cameras. I think the police should be held more accountable than they ever have been, and that's going in that direction. That's good. I click on this thing, and this, the second thing is re- reparations. So we're already into you know, <laughs> Bananasville, in my, in my estimation. The third thing is economic justice. I clicked on that. And the first, this is the first thing. This is the first demand um, of Black Lives Matter. A progressive restructuring of tax codes at the local, state, and federal levels to ensure a radical and sustainable redistribution of wealth. Now, we have gone so far afield from, from, you know. Stressing the individual dignity of lives that were being disrespected. Yeah, and I think there's a lot, as I said, I think there's a ton to that. And I think there's a lot that I think everybody in this room and, and you know, would ag- agree to. Um, and then all of a sudden you realize that they get a little, they get a little power hungry and they say, okay, we're going to make these demands. People are listening to us. We have a stage now we're on TV. People know the phrase. They know the hashtag. Now let's demand that we collectivize all the grain and shoot all the kulaks. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what the fuck just happened? That, that, that's actually <laughs> not, that's, that's the only half of that is not really part of the demand. That's only half of um, really, the rest, the it rest of be, it is. It might be, they're going to, they're going to issue some sub demands, um, you know, full access to technology, including net neutrality yeah. and universal access to the internet. Full. I, I mean, this is like, I don't know the end of money controlling politics. The I'm, end of I'm super so packs. mad at, government having too much police power that I'm going to demand that it heavily regulate the internet. Well, it's going to demand that it heavily well, regulates everything. So, so I mean, look, we, we're, yeah, I, I, think gotta, I'll, I think I'll be okay getting home tonight. Um, are you going to go talk to, are you going to pick a fight? Are you going to read the comments? Of course I'm going to try to talk to God these strangers again. Do not do that. Um, yeah, no, I will. So this could be the last installment. This is the, the difference column. between people who have do kids and prison. who don't have kids. I've got plenty of things on the line. At, it, at any rate, we're going to, we're going to, I think we've kind of done <laughs> was, our some idiot. We've, we've done, we've done our some idiot wrote this. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I just want to do one more thing. I just want to, I was going to totally, no, 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 just in the last point, I'm going to totally interrupt it. I just did, you know, has he been drinking No, no, no. You know when you go and like if you if you have Chrome, you do the Command F and you can like search in the page. I just searched for Israel and the Black Lives Matter, <laughs> and I just want you to know that uh, they um, there's uh, a demand that that we stop uh, aid to Israel and like right. divest and things because of the because of the Black Lives Matter. There's I don't also know there's also apparently a demand um, that. Uh, that we ban police body cameras, which again, just rambling incoherence. Um, If you care about this stuff at all, um, uh, you should go read uh, Daniel Bear uh, from Fee. Uh, He wrote a great piece uh, about what, what black lives matter wants uh, that I I read. And he sent me earlier this afternoon. Um, Go read it. I like the top line black lives matter demand. I don't like anything below it. Of what? The top line demand of, you know, like, stop killing unarmed people. I'm on your side. Oh, yeah. No, that's you good. You know, but, but like, <laughs> it is it is that point where, you know, like a, like 140% tax on my hummus is a little much. <laughs> I mean, come on. Jesus. I, I could understand why you might resist that. I don't like that. Is, is there anything else before we go here? Because uh, just, uh, you know, I, I want to thank everyone, first of all, for listening, but also... I want people to realize that we had a pretty, you know, hectic last four weeks and we showed up. We delivered. We showed That's up. True. We delivered. That's true. And I can't, by the I can't way, speak for the quality, you know, but, but Matt, you're, you're missing one thing. One important thing that Camille pointed out to me is that we showed up 
And our listeners showed up too. We wow. had Banner. Yes. Banner, this crazy, crazy weeks, tons of listeners. Remarkable And we're numbers. super uh, happy that you're all listening and encourage more uh, hateful comments that are usually directed to me. But thank you so much for, for listening, all of you. Well, I, I hope that you will continue to, uh, to join us and we'll, we'll continue to push the, for, the, the show forward uh, and improve its quality and content, although that, that latter part is hard because it's so damn good. So good. Um, yeah. This one was thick with uh, all sorts of wonderful intellectual stuff. Uh, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, write a review. If you didn't, Go see your psychiatrist immediately. <laughs> yeah, Something's wrong with you. Uh, this has been The Fifth Column for uh, Michael Moynihan and Matt Welch. This is Camille Foster saying, we'll see you next time. We, 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 we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The Fifth Column. Column, 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 column.